0: Well, welcome back. We're going to have a little talk now about something that some folks think you shouldn't talk about at all because they're beyond all discussion. And that is the koans. In a few days, we're going to be beginning our non-work with the book of serenity or the book of equanimity we're going to be using this commentary by teacher Shishin Wick on a collection of 100 koans that has been treasured in the Soto tradition for centuries by Master Dogen by so many teachers and the koans that are here are timeless there as true and profound now in your life as they were back in the day and so when we begin our look at these koans and our reflection on these koans and our absorption into these koans we're also going to be bringing these koans to life in our lives otherwise what's the point Master Dogen spoke of the Genjo Koan, the the Koan that is realized here, now, all around, outside you, and inside you, in this life, in this world, and all others, but in what you do now, right before you. Does that Genjo Koan mean it's some other Koan apart from the classic Koans that we find in a collection such as this? No, not at all. The point is that these classic koans bring to life the very same Buddhist wisdom and compassion that is realized here now in your life. These classic koans are also the Genjo koan, you see, in our view. And that's the thing, I say, our view, even my view. Because there are many views on these koans and how to practice them. And that's my point. When you discuss these koans, in some ways, I'm going to be very blunt. It's a little bit like Christians dis- discussing who owns Jesus. What's the right way to, to know Jesus? Or Jews discussing who owns Jerusalem. Jerusalem doesn't belong to anyone. It's a place where we can all come together and live in peace. There may be wrong ways to know Jesus, but a thousand and one right ways too. And the same with these koans. I'm not talking about the one right way to know the koan. It's a place where we all come together and live in peace and harmony and unity. It's our Jerusalem there are a thousand and one views when there are a thousand and one people to know the koans but there's also the taste of the koans beyond all views beyond all separation and we going to know them all so my point is this when I say that there are misunderstandings about the koans that are very prevalent or that a lot of the rumors you hear about the koans or the biases that exist, I'm not saying that that means that my view is the right one and everyone else is wrong. Quite the contrary. There are so many good ways to practice the koans and bad ways too. These ways are ancient. These ways are profound. These ways will change your life These ways will change the way you experience you. And unfortunately, what has happened in Buddhist history, including Western Buddhist history, is certain views developed along sectarian lines about this is the way to do the koans and not these other ways, when in fact some of these, this is the way to do the koans were kind of innovations later in history, later in time. They were not the way that it was done by the mainstream for centuries. But that doesn't matter because even if something was an innovation it could be a beautiful way, an improvement, you see. One of the reasons that there's a very narrow view of the koans is the way they were introduced in the west through some of the first books like the writings of D.T. Suzuki or a book like the three pillars of Zen now again I'm not saying that the way that was presented by Suzuki or uh, the three pillars of Zen was a wrong way or a bad way it's a good way I hope for the people who practice the koans in that way But those books tended to say that if you didn't practice the koans that way, it's not real koan practice. That has never been true. That is not true now. It will never be true in the future. Because the koans truly are timeless and approach through endless good doors. So let me talk about some of these misunderstandings. It's a big subject. I hope we have time. And again, I'm not criticizing anyone's way. My point is, there are many good ways. But one great misunderstanding that came from some of those books is that the only way to practice the koans is through what is known as the Kanhua or Wato method, which is koan introspection Zazen. During Zazen, pouring oneself into a koan, a phrase of a koan, or even a word of a koan, losing oneself in the phrase or the word, finding oneself again, rushing to the Roshi in a dokusan room, expressing it either through words or through silence or drawing a circle in the air or quoting an appropriate line of poetry that this was the only way to appreciate the cons well the fact is according to the historical record that was a very late development in the history of buddhism that was history is complicated I can't do justice but there was a fellow called Dahwei. there are other teachers uh, such as Hakuin in Japan and they went that way and they could leave the impression because some of the early Zen literature that came west that that was the only way to practice the koans and it's a great way, it's a beautiful way and a rewarding way for, for the people who practice that way but now many historical studies, here's, here's a couple of them How Zen Became Zen by the recently leftist historian Morton Schluter and the great budologist and historian Stephen Hines Dogen and the Koan Tradition this makes clear that these fellows took the way that most of the Zen world practi- seemed to practice koans until that time and most of the Soto Saldong tradition seems to still and did practice koans and developed this new way in which it was felt and again I'm outside the tradition I'm not practicing that way it's a little bit like someone who's not, uh, let's say, um, a baseball player and is a football player commenting on the beauties of baseball. Well, I'm a football player. I want to talk football. I think baseball's a lovely sport. So, I, it's hard for me as a non-baseball player, as a football player, to talk about baseball. But these historians have made clear, and you can disagree with them, that that was a, an innovation that occurred. It was one way to approach the colon's. You know, some people don't agree with the historians because they say historians cannot understand koans because they're intellectuals and they in, live in ivory towers and they study books. Well, there's a certain truth to that. The the proof is in the pudding of any Zen practice. And you taste it. If you find the koans to be true and timeless to you, that's fine, but also you can look at the historical record. It's a little bit like they take the Shroud of Turin and you can do a DNA test and say, well, that's probably not actually Jesus' image in the Shroud of Turin, but people still want to believe in the Shroud of Turin. That's fine. That's their right. That's their heart calling. But the historical record about the development of these koans, looking at how they can be seen to evolve over time through the centuries, and the story of their origins shows that the Kanwa method was never the only method. And in the sota world, well I'm gonna say even the Soto people did and do some practice Kanwa zazen, but many, maybe most did not, and it's not necessarily the the only or the one valid or the real an exclusive way to approach the koans. So when we look at the Book of Serenity in the coming days, I'm going to talk about how we're going to approach the koans, which I believe, too, is not the run-right way, my way, or the highway, but it is a profound and alive, a piercing, a liberating, a realizing, path-non-path through these koans. another misunderstanding is that Dogen did not like koans or he or that in another crazy statement is that in Soto Zen we don't value enlightenment or kensho. we do first off about Dogen anyone who says that Dogen doesn't value koans has never opened a page of Dogen Dogen, because all his writings from the Shobogenzo to the Eihei Kodoku are wall-to-wall, Dogen riffing on koans. What he seems to have been critical of, according to some of his writings, was he was not a fan of the Kanwa or Watou method, focusing on the phrase or the, the word of koan during Zazen. But people can argue about that, too. You know, people believe in their own Jesus. Please believe in your own Dogen, too. But as far as can be seen from the historical record, Dogen was not a fan of the kanwa or Wato method of koan introspection during Zazen, but he was a lover, a dancer of the koans, because his way is filled, replete, wall to wall. The koans. That was the music he played. I have sometimes described Dogen as a jazz musician, riffing on the koans. And he was. He had his own way. I'm going to talk about that again in a moment. And The next is that we don't value enlightenment or kensho. Nothing can be further from the truth. It's a too big a topic for today, and I've spoke about it many times, but we believe in enlightenment big, small, beyond big and small, in this moment, timeless, the ones that come and go, the ones that last a lifetime, timeless moments of enlightenment, mind-blowing, knock-your-socks-off moments of enlightenment. Yes, we believe in Kensho, too. I've had the sky fall. I'm going to talk about this when we approach the first koan. I've had moments where everything dropped away and me too fortunately came back because here I am but we value all these moments the one thing in Soto Zen is we don't value one particular experience we don't value only one flavor of enlightenment there are endless flavors of enlightenment like a jewel that you turn constantly reflecting life in different ways. In Soto Zen, we value the whole trip, man, the whole voyage, from the first time you're a beginner to the time you're Buddha. We value the whole trip. By the way, when you talk about this subject, it's very dangerous because I can hear some folks who are outside the Soto tradition saying, we do too. I know, I know. I'm not saying you don't. I'm not saying you don't, but some people have the misunderstanding that Dogen did not value koans, were are not into Kensho, I've had Kensho experiences, I've had enlightenment experiences, big and small, I have at least one a day plus that one that goes on and on forever. Now, what's next? It is a misunderstanding that the most vital way to express one's piercing of the cone con is through a verbal or nonverbal expression in the Dokasan room. Well, it's not really a misunderstanding because it's a correct understanding for some people. And there's also the misunderstanding that all cards must be wordless. Well, Doga believed that no, quite the contrary, the word that you speak if it's a turning word, if it's a a rich word filled with the wisdom and and treasure of the Buddha those words speak endlessly. The mountains are preaching, the, the sky is preaching. In other words, Dogen was a wordsmith, but he believed that it had to be the right words. There are koans where the best answer is to say nothing because some of the koans are saying that we say too much there are koans which tell us to do an action when we get into the koans you'll see why sometimes that is a lovely way to express what the koan is about and sometimes you can talk about the koans because this gets to my next point. Let me make sure I didn't this one here. Well Dogen could what I wanted to say is he could throw his stick down with the best of them or draw a circle in the air but he also could turn out a thousand words to express a koan. Sometimes twisting the koan upside down and right-sided again to do it but the one thing to remember this is the next misunderstanding is that the koans must be completely divorced from core Mahayana Buddhist perspectives and teachings and the sutras and commentaries there have been some radicals and more power to them again it's not I'm saying not saying they're wrong good for them who said all you need is the koan throw yourself in the koan, forget everything else, you don't have to study Buddhist teachings, you don't have to study anything about what the Buddha said or what the teacher said, just pour yourself into the koan and it will all come to you. That was an extremely radical view in the Buddhist world, and most of the teachers who said that our way is a way beyond words and letters meant that don't become a prisoner of the words and letters see through them see the light that shines between the words the light that shines behind the words but also the light that shines right through it through the words and is the words too most writers like Dogen Dogen was a walking encyclopedia of Buddhist writings Sutras, commentaries, he was a highly educated man, educated in Buddhism. He was a literate man, well read and studied who understand who understood the Buddhist perspectives, but he did not become their prisoner. He was not an armchair philosopher. he then set it free he then Played it as music, you see. And so it is with the koans. When we study the koans too, it's not. Some people think if you think about what the koan is actually about or where it connects to traditional Buddhist perspectives or teachings of the Mahayana, that's not real koan. Real koan is to pour yourself into boom, 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 boom and you'll get it. Perhaps good for you, but most Buddhists who approach the koans would actually see that the koans were about basic Buddhism 101, Buddhist teachings, perspectives, ways of viewing the world, and the koans were expressions of that. Now, here's the thing, are the koans logical? Yes. Is it our typical logic? No, because anyone who's been around jun for a while knows that sometimes in the Buddhist world, one plus one equals two and equals seven and equals a cow and equals moo and equals nothing and equals emptiness and equals Buddha. Yes, and the koans seem strange because Buddhist logic and perspectives are strange, at least strangely, wisely, crazily, wonderful from our normal, ordinary, day-to-day, ignorant way of looking at life. That's why the koans are weird. Buddhist Mahayana teachings are weird when viewed by the ignorant, and wise when viewed by the enlightened. But the koats themselves make sense. So we do not ignore the Buddhist teachings. When we approach the Book of Serenity, we're going to look at each of the teachings, for what they express each of the cards, from what they express about the teachings we will not become a prisoner and we will bring them to life now how do you bring them to life sometimes someone may answer with silence if that silence speaks the voice of the Buddha that is profound silence someone might quote a song lyric or bang on the table if that's appropriate good if you're just going through the motions not good but the most important place that I want to see my students realize the koans is in life. Can you live these koans? Can you bring them to life? You see the stories in the koans are about two guys who were actually living and they were sweeping some grass and they had a little encounter and a moment of realization. And then some people felt that What you needed to do was just quote maybe a piece of poetry or draw a circle in the air or that in a room. And that is how you express that realization, that you understand it. And it could be. But more, I want to see how you express the realization in your sweeping life's grass, in your day-to-day. So a lot of the approach to the koans we will have is when we look at the koan, Is there a story from your past that resonates with this koan? Is there some event that is happening in your present life whereby you've taken some perspective, some understanding, some transcendence you gathered from this koan, and you applied it in this real situation and you know, the situation turned into something quite other than it was. I want to see, in other words, how you really apply these columns where the rubber meets the road of life and that is how we're going to approach them when we look at the book of serenity it's not armchair philosophy and it's not all talk it's not just drawing circles in the air or yelling moo though there may be appropriate times to do that it's what happened when the baby was crying what happened when you got that cancer diagnosis what happened when you saw the moon over the trees last night what happened when your wife came over and gave you a hug for no reason and something resonated with this koan. Whatever has happened in your life, I want to hear how the koan came alive for you. Well, we're running out of a little time here, so let me take what time we have left and cover a few more of this. Another misunderstanding is that the koans Well, the stranger the koan, or more non-understandable it is, the better. Well, you know, yes, but no. Let me tell you why no. The no reason is that originally when these koans were written, they may not have been really that non-understandable to people who, number one, were clued in to basic Mahayana teachings and could recognize them in the koan, which was most educated Buddhists or monks at the time. They'd go, oh, I get what that koan's about. It's about teaching number 46. And so that was the first clue that they could understand what the koan was about because they knew the teaching behind the koan. Most of the koans you can identify the teaching. And the other thing is, the way the koans are expressed is the same way I express living koans in the form. For example, sometimes someone will ask me to express a a teaching, and I'll use a quote from the Beastie Boys, or I'll refer to a popular TV show like Lost, or I'll uh, recite a poem by T.S. Eliot in order to bring the koan to life. Well, this is what they were doing back in, uh, let's say, the 12th century, 10th century, 11th century. But they were using 10th century, 11th century Chinese slang and poetic references and pop culture references in order to express things so it's as if right now I had to express a co-op and I used somewhere in my expression uh, Thomas the Tank Thomas the Tank uh, engine Bart Simpson's Cowabunga and Bling Bling and then we went a thousand years in the future to Let's say Lithuania." and it was translated into Lithuanian a thousand years from now when someone not understanding 21st century uh, slang said, "Coabunga, that must have some profound hidden meaning because the less you understand the better. Well, it's not true that the less you understand about the koans, the better. The more you understand about the koans, the better, as long as you carve it into your bones and really get it into your heart. It's, these are folks like songs. They're like poems. They're like Bible passages. If they ring out to you, if they sing out to you, if you carve them into your heart, really understand them, and then live them, I think you've mastered the art. It's not that the more confused you are, the better. If someone wishes to practice that way, more power to them. But we're going to find that a lot of these Kolarths meant something and were quite understandable to people back in the day, which is a thousand years ago. Uh, when they'd reach for a poem, when they reach for slang, they understood more than we do. And just because we don't understand their cowabunga doesn't mean that all about the koans are supposed to be not understandable. But some things about the koans are supposed to be not understandable. Why? Because there are parts of the koans that are not expressed in words. You don't talk about it. What is emptiness? What is dancing? What is the moon here's a time to shut up too as long as that shut up speaks with the Buddhist tongue there's a time to quote a poem, there's a time to draw a circle in the air, there's a time to shout cowabunga as long as it speaks with a Buddhist tongue. But the most important thing again is how you live these koans and that's what we're going to look at, not just an intellectual understanding, the koans brought to life, these classic koans brought to life as the Genjo koan. My next talk, I'll get into a little bit more the nuts and bolts of how we're going to do this with this particular collection of koans, but right now just keep that in mind. These are living, breathing things, and that's true. Even though, my next, uh, my next point, it's a misunderstanding that these stories in the koans necessarily ever really happened. They're probably not, according to the historians, who love them or, or hate them, pretty much have it well documented. Probably were written perhaps a couple of centuries after they supposedly occurred. Or they were based on something in someone's diary and then were changed into these koans, sometimes with completely different characters or the words were changed. Sometimes these koans have fifteen, twenty different versions, sometimes seeming to say opposite things. Because like poems, like songs, they were written by authors, you see. Does that make them less? No, because songs and poems can be timeless, and so can these koans. Even though they never happened, and even though they may, if they did happen, happened centuries ago, they happen if they happen in your life now, and they're as real as real can be when you make them real in your life so it doesn't matter if Don Zan actually killed that cat or didn't kill that cat what matters is how you skim the cat in your life it doesn't matter if Bodhidharma actually had a conversation with Emperor Wu and he said no merit that you pierce the meaning of that in your life. Now, bring it to life. Then the code is as real as real can be in your life. Another misunderstanding is that the colons can only be ins- answered instantaneously and spontaneously, or the answer has no value. Some people may believe that, and I support them if they do, but that's a misunderstanding there was the view that the only real zed is when you start living without anything that's less than spontaneous life is spontaneous because life is this moment, and this moment, and this moment the question is how you bring the koan to life this moment it's not that you have to be the best impromptu respondent to the koan, though that there was that view by some people it's that the koan fills this instant in all instances in your life, because it's a living thing. Another misunderstanding is that when someone in the in the koan received, he heard the sound of a pebble and he was enlightened. The end. He lived happily ever after. That's a great misunderstanding of the koans. And you know, I know that again, I'm not saying that I'm the only one who knows that, because practitioners of all flavors of Zen Buddhism have come to realize that the koans did not end at the end of the koan. He was enlightened, and that was it, and he lived happily ever after. That view was sometimes expressed by, for example, Suzuki, D.T. Suzuki, not to be confused with uh, Soto Suzuki Roshi, D.T. Suzuki, who sometimes in his books left the impression that the fellow was enlightened, And then he lived spontaneously and perfectly from that moment on. Well, the koan is like the movie that ends, you know, and the end they live happily ever after. Well, there is more to the happily ever after. Enlightenment goes on and changes, and it's not only one thing. You see many of these characters in the koans become enlightened, and then they're in another koan a few years later, and they get enlightened again. How did that happen if they were enlightened the first time? my point is really very simple the realization that comes from a koan is like a turning jewel constantly changing in its facets what is it today maybe even be a different facet from what it is tomorrow there is another misunderstanding is there's only one right answer to this to a koan where sometimes there are many right answers and sometimes there's a perspective beyond all perspectives but it's like a jewel that turns there may be one jewel but the way the light shines on it today is not the way the light shines on it in your life tomorrow does that mean yesterday's way of seeing the jewel is wrong and today's way of the light reflecting on the jewel is right no it's all the very same jewel and all the very same light but new things come to light each day new things are enlightened each day and therefore the koans can change each day so live these koans breathe life into these koans and then these koans are real and as treasured in your life as they have been in our traditions for centuries and I hope when we begin our work with the Book of Equanimity, the Book of Serenity, the Book of Equanimity, that I can do this with you a little bit too. We will dance the koans, you see. We will sing the koans. Some koans we will pour ourselves into and have nothing to say. Sometimes we will pour ourselves into the koans and feel completely confused and frustrated it goes with the territory sometimes we will pour ourselves into the koan and say yes and sometimes we will say no and sometimes we will just laugh ha 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 and sometimes we will cry and sometimes we will just embrace each other and no but in all cases we will live these koans together Shall we sit with that?